Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Scripture lesson today comes from the prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter, verses one through eight. Here with you now the words of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, and with each of them had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with the other two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of God's glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, speak to us. Speak to us of your majesty. Speak to us of your glory. Speak to us of your greatness. But, O Lord, as you speak to us, remind us that you are a God of grace, a God of love, a God that calls us to go out in the world and to not just be hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. You know, over the last 16 months, we have learned all sorts of new ways of doing things. That's been no different here at the church. We've changed the ways that we have done stuff. For example, faith formation. How many of you have seen your Sunday school class go from meeting in person in the various buildings on our campus to meeting entirely by Zoom? Or maybe we've pivoted all of our small groups to in-person meetings in backyards, socially distanced, or online. Or can't Tammy with our confirmation class teaching the class of 2020 and even the class of 2021 the whole confirmation curriculum in a virtual world. What we've been doing here as a staff is we've been throwing spaghetti on a wall and trying to see what sticks and what works for this season and try to learn from it what we can. One of those areas that we have seen this innovation is in our children's ministry realizing that so much of what children's ministry does is hands-on and is multi-level, but we realized we could only do it in that virtual spectrum. So Kate and Jeanette, they created a whole, a whole series of videos that came out each week. One week it was Jeanette's science lab, which was sort of hands-on lessons. Then there was Dear God, which was prayer practices another week. 
Yet a different week was a program called Oxygen Mask, which were resources for our parents or Bible stories with Kate. One of the ones that they roped me into willingly, I might add, was this one called Ask Glenn, in which we would receive questions from our children about anything from why does God let bad things happen to how do I forgive people? And Kate and I would talk about it all the way down to even questions like what is Jesus's favorite cookie? You'll have to wait for that this month. It's coming out soon. But, you know, just as we were asking these questions, we could have just as easily had a question simply entitled, why do we worship? Why do we worship? And maybe the answers we might have thought of right off the top of our heads were, well, the Bible says so, or to be fed, or to uh, be in church, which really goes back to the first one, why do we worship? Or because my mom says so, always something worth listening to, by the way. But anyway, when we think about that question, why do we worship, we look at the text from Isaiah today. And Isaiah, I think, gives the best answer. It really has sort of three sides to it, three parts, if you will. The year is 742 B.C., King Uzziah has died. Now, in those days, a king was not just a political ruler, not just a temporal ruler, but was also the co-regent, the vice-regent for God. Remember in our history that as the people, as people progressed from that relationship in the garden, they realized that they needed someone to guide them. They tried the prophets, that didn't work. They tried other things, that didn't work. And they finally said, we need a king. And God said, are you sure you want a king? And they said, yes. So they started the kings. And so the kings really were both political, but also religious rulers. So King Uzziah has died. The Assyrians are chipping away at the Israelite country, beginning to corrupt their worship practices. And so Isaiah finds himself going into the temple and he has this glorious, almost really religious experience, if you will. It's in one in which he reinforces exactly why it is that we come to worship even to this day. Because it was in worship that he saw God. It was in worship that he recognized his own human frailty and was given the gift of forgiveness. It was in worship that he was called to go forth and serve. And so when we ask ourselves that question, why do we worship? We worship for the same reasons. We come to see God. We come to realize the human condition in our own frailty and receive the gift of forgiveness. We come to be sent forth in service. And so when we approach worship with this mindset, these three parts, it harkens all the way back to the start of this year when we sort of had the Wesley Covenant service and we were talking all about it and the fact that we align our lives with an upward and inward and an outward focus. I mean, we come to church for many reasons, right? I mean, we come to worship, we come to grow in our faith, we come to serve, we come to seek fellowship with each other. I mean, that's one of the things that we miss over the course of the pandemic, not being able to gather to be in community. We come to care for each other. But it all starts during this hour. It all starts with this idea of worship. See, when we come to worship, we come to meet God and see God in all of God's majesty. I mean, it's a primary reason for us, if it was only to come to see our friends or to be seen or to be fed, then we've missed the point of why we gather during this hour. 
See, all of the elements of worship are designed to point to the majesty of God. I mean, the soaring architecture, the stained glass windows, the lofty music which fills to the rafters as we have heard this morning, even the texts of our hymns, our anthems and our canticles, they all tell the story of God and God's majesty, power, and love for us. But even in the silence, even in the pageantry and even the simplicity of worship, we are given an image, a landscape, a picture, a portrait, if you will, of the divine that leaves us with a sense of reverence and awe. So when we come to worship, I don't know about you, but it sometimes is hard for me when I come to worship to leave the world outside. But I love the fact that when we come in, we shut the doors. We do that not because we want to keep the world out. We do it to keep the distractions out. The doors are always open for more people, but let's leave the distractions at the street. Let's not worry about whether our outfit is just right. Instead, let's look around and see God right in our midst, right around us. See, Isaiah saw God in that moment, in that worship where, as it says, you know, filling the temple, so should we. No matter whether we worship in a large sanctuary or a small chapel or even in an oceanside amphitheater, it's when we come to worship with our hearts focused on God, looking for God, that we see God. But just as we gather and we see God, we see that majesty and power of God, we begin to come to grips with our own human frailty, do we not? I mean, it's not a cosmic guilt trip that I'm trying to throw here at all. Instead, it's just the reality of the human condition, our brokenness. I mean, Isaiah experiences when Isaiah was there in the temple filled with all the glory, the majesty of God. It was in that moment that he realized the messiness of humanity, his own shortcomings. There was that line about, I am one of unclean lips of a people of unclean lips. The way I liken that story for us to sort of get a picture of it is imagine your home for a minute. Imagine your home at its best, when it's cleanest for company, just arranged just so. Now imagine that with me. Isn't it a beautiful place? Now venture with me to a southern living show home that's just been newly built. I mean, it's got the best furniture, perfectly staged, all of the new bells and whistles in the interior design world. And you look at that house, you go, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And your house, which five minutes ago was perfect, now looks shabby, doesn't it? See, that's what happened to Isaiah. He came in there and he realized all of a sudden his own brokenness, his own frailties. He realized that he still had ways to go to reach perfection, ways to go to be the person that God wanted him to be. But it was in that worship service, in that temple, in that frailty of the human moment that he found redemption. When the angel grabbed the coal from the fire and touched his unclean lips and singed and burned away all the imperfections, he was restored. He was given the gift of grace, forgiveness, and restoration. So the same is true for you and for me when we come to worship. We come in here and we acknowledge the brokenness of the world around us, 
the damage that's done to create an order, how somehow or other we have let things get out of balance from what God intended for God's kingdom. That when we hear things that are preached from the pulpit, we think, oh, they're talking politics. Maybe instead it's not politics as much as it is advocating for the kingdom of heaven. Or maybe we take it even on a more personal level. We begin to realize, recall, and remember those occasions just this morning, this past week, month, year, over our lifetimes, in which our lives, our words, our deeds and actions, great and small, have been out of step with God's hopes and desires for the world. And that's in that moment that we confess our own worthiness. You know, our old communion liturgy used to have these words, have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, because we're unworthy even to gather up the crumbs from thy table. We weren't just saying words in that old liturgy to talk about how awful we were. We were acknowledging how broken we were. That we weren't proud. Matter of fact, disappointed in ourselves. But see, before we wallow in this pit of despair, before we think that we are unworthy of life in general, what we've got to remember is that is remember how we have failed, that it's God who created us and it's God who redeems us. It's God, the majestic God that we worship, that gives us the gift of forgiveness and grace, even when we haven't even realized maybe to the depth of our brokenness. See, it's in worship, in sight of God's majesty, in the liturgy and in the spoken and preached word that we begin to realize that we are cleansed and that we are forgiven and that God has a gift for us. Since your guilt has been taken away, your sin has been atoned. That's what Isaiah realized and that's what the seraph told him. And that is the word that we hear today, that our guilt has been taken away, our sin has been atoned and thanks be to God because we can't do it ourselves. Only God has saved us. So that brings us to what do we do with it? What do we do with this gift to realize that we're surrounded by the majesty of God and we've been given the gift of grace and forgiveness even when we didn't deserve it? Think back with me to when you were in school And you had that test that you needed to take and you studied hard, but if you're really honest with yourself, you procrastinated more than anything else. And you were pretty sure that you failed the test. Or you put together a presentation and it was for a stretch client and you were pretty sure that you weren't gonna get the gig. Or you came to bat in the game with it on the line. The bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes. You hadn't gotten a hit all day. In the back of your mind, you were pretty sure that the next pitch was probably going to sail right on by, and that would be the end of the game. But lo and behold, instead of failing the test, you got to be plus. Instead of losing the account, you actually won the account, and they were pleased to be with your company. And yes, you got the single that scored the run that won the championship. And so as you sit on that mountain of euphoria, you promise yourself this, I'm not going to be in this spot again. I'm going to study harder from here on out. I'm going to serve this client to the best of my ability. I'm going to do everything that I can. I'm going to spend more time in the batting cage because I don't want to be here again. My friends, the same is true for us when we come to worship. 
When we come to worship and we meet God, we come and we realize that we are forgiven. We begin to understand that we are called to do something with this gift. We are called to do something. Isaiah realized that. And so when God says, whom shall I send? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. The gospel is full of these lessons. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write of stories such as Jesus saying, to whom much is given, much is expected. Go and tell Peter and the 12. Go and baptize disciples and make them, to baptize nations and make them disciples. Feed my sheep. There's an imperative there. There is a calling. There is a sending forth by the Lord for you and for me, for us to go into the world. And so on a personal level, we begin to understand that all of us, no one of us is exempted from this calling to go forth. That no permission is needed, that no training is required, that there is no retirement from the, com- from the compulsion to serve the kingdom of heaven. All of us are to serve. All of us are to serve the church, to serve the kingdom in some way, whether it's teaching or growing in our faith so that we can lead others to it, whether it's to help those that are around us, whether to invite people to participate. We are called to go forth from this hour and to share about the majesty of God and the gift of forgiveness that we have received. Let's think back to those videos that Kate and I have produced over the last 16 months. Ask the question, why do we worship? It's not about us. It never has been, it never will be. Instead, it's about God and God's kingdom. That's why we gather for worship every week. That's why it's important for us to be here and for us not to to let off the pressure because it's when we worship that we meet God and we understand a little bit more about God's greatness for us and for our lives. It's when we worship that we understand how forgiven we are and what a gift of grace we have been given. It's when we worship that we understand that we are to go forth and to serve the God in heaven who created, redeems, and sustains us. So God asks this one question of us, whom shall I send? And our response today should be resoundingly loud. Here we are, Lord, send us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.